Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, join me for a conversation with ESPN anchor and host, the incredibly cool Kevin Nagandi. Stay tuned. Okay, I admit it. I'm a huge sports fan. Playing sports, watching sports, sports is entertainment. When I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I followed all of my local LA teams and still root for them to this day. Sports also offered an instant connection with any fan of any game, including relatives in India with cricket, kabaddi, badminton, lagori, and of course, carom. But from watching and living sports here in California, attached to many of those American games, and individual event memories of triumph and heartbreak were the announcers and hosts who narrated them. And it's pretty safe to say that none of them looked like me or anyone in my family. In October of 2006, Kevin Nagandi made history as the first Indian American to be on a national sports network. And he now serves as a host on ESPN Sports Center and college football. Growing up in West Philadelphia as the child of immigrant parents, just as sports were a big part of his own family's life and a big part of his professional journey, his background and his family's life are equally a big part of his own identity as a South Asian American sports broadcaster. Kevin was gracious to join the podcast and share a conversation with me. And as an admirer of his work, the whole thing was, well, pretty cool. You are on my Mount Rushmore of Sports Center anchors, by the way. Thank you. It goes Berman, Patrick, uh, Keith, and you. So wow, wow, yeah. wow! They're part of my Mount Rushmore as well. <laughs> so. Right. And by the way, I mean, I, I I appreciate and understand the magnitude of being the first uh, sort of national anchor uh, for a national an- network. But I really would, if you have any pull to do this, I would love to see the Indian man be the NFL promo guy. You know, with that real deep voice, who's like, you know, the NFL brought to you on by Air India or something like that, you know? Um, <laughs> well, maybe we could, we could do those tracks uh, when, when the NFL is all over India and everybody's signing up for it. Listen, I know the NBA is big over in India, yes. uh, you know, but eventually I, I just think we're one generation away from breaking through even more, you know, uh, just yeah. to see what it's like in the last 10 years, the landscape. Uh, I think we're, 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 we're on the edge. We're about five <laughs> years away from a right. massive breakthrough. Just that the cusp of of all ESPN all the time, and 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 therefore more of you, right? But let me ask you this: I mean, it's been an incredibly peculiar last year plus, right? And and particularly sports as a diversion, it's been a healthy and needed um, diversion in, in this year, and it's it's been of great importance in a terrifying and historic and again, peculiar year, you know, someone who's been sharing it and kind of narrating it nightly with, with so many, what have been your sort of reflections on, on how 
your work and, and sports have, have really been able to, in some ways, kind of transcend through all that's going on? Well, I could tell you, I was, uh, was very lucky a year ago, you know, when the pandemic happened to be on a, on a sports center show that was on every day, uh, Monday through Friday still. And we actually went two to three hours and our, our sports center team, uh, that 6 p.m. show basically started at five and went to seven. Uh, some days we expanded and then we included like PTI segments as well as around the horn segments. And our, our producer, uh, our coordinating producer, um, the entire crew behind the scenes, they were phenomenal. We didn't miss a day. We were in there every day grinding. And um, it just showed our commitment. Because when you, when you see, you know, that you, you no longer have any highlights to show, you've got to be creative. You've got to understand that, all right, uh, what, what are we going to provide the viewer? We're going to provide them an, uh, some news and how every day some type of information we were gathering is is trickling into how it's going to affect uh, games down the road. But at the same time, you're providing an outlet where they can escape for at least a couple hours and maybe talk about the NFL draft and, and start thinking about their teams down the road in free agency. And uh, I, I think that that was really important uh, to be put in that position every day. Uh, I took great pride in it. And, and I got to tell you, I never worked more. And, um, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, doing highlights and, and, and shows that, that create itself because you're reacting and responding, those are the fun days. Those are the, I don't want to say easy days, but those are the days where the show writes itself. But when it, when you're having breaking news days or, or days that you're dealing with, uh, that we went through in the pandemic, you, you have to have a creative angle. And you've got to actually think out the box. All right, what's going to work? What's not going to work? And I think the American public, our audience also, um, became more accepting of, of not being perfect. And I say that because uh, we all live in a world of Zoom. We all live in a world of FaceTiming now. And we could do interviews with athletes where it, the lighting didn't have to be great. Uh, we didn't have to have like everything set up all at once. It could be just like, Hey, we've got this, uh, you know, athlete on FaceTime. Let's, let's go, let's get him. Right. You know, that, that happened where, um, you know, to a tongue of Iloa who's getting yeah. ready for the draft. And, and, uh, you know, I reached out to him and, and we had the chance to interview him. And obviously we can't send a cameraman there. It's just right. like, all right, so, uh, what's your phone number? You're going to talk to one of our producers. Who's going to FaceTime you. And then we're going to pop you on sports center. You get very sort of creative with working on the fly and you have and to, and, and, and you have to adapt in every scenario, no matter what it is. Yeah. And, and I thought our crew did a great job with that. And I actually bring up the audience. I, I think they were understanding that if there were mistakes or if there's a, a, you know, a Wi-Fi hit, something goes down, comes back up and there's static. It's okay. Cause we're living in a pandemic. Yeah. And um, I, I thought that, that we, we could resonate and connect with our audience and say, we're going through it the same way you are. All of us, are going through it. And in your sort of reflection on this, did your relationship with sports change at all? Did you find that there was a, um, a you know, a different power or a different magnitude or a different importance to, to how you thought about sports? Totally. I, I think everybody's viewpoint of, uh, you know, the perspective of, of a loss is taken differently, right? Um, and then I also think that that went on for a couple of months and then boom, all of a sudden you're, you're back in it. I, I, I think the viewing habits have changed. Um, I think 
when you're watching games with crowds, uh, a little bit more people where you're, you got like a football game that there was like eight to 10,000, you could hear the eight to 10,000 as opposed to hearing nothing at all, um, <laughs> which I find is remarkable. Uh, you know, having the chance to go to the uh, semifinal game in in New Orleans, in that environment of, of Clemson versus Ohio State, I was there at the Fiesta Bowl the year before in their rematch. And uh, the, the, the electricity and the noise and the vibe and the hearing the crunching on the sidelines, everything was insane. And then you had the rematch again in uh, New Orleans um, in early January. And it was just, it was bizarre because yeah. you couldn't be on the sidelines uh, once the game started. And you're sitting up, uh, you know, at, we're sitting up at this second, you know, tier level. And it is just a wide open Superdome right. and and you could still hear the crowds yeah. on each side but it you you're realizing the challenge that athletes are going through where they they need to motivate themselves they yeah. need to make sure that um, they stay focused at all times because you could hear everything on the field I mean literally every single yeah. thing it, you know and the other thing that sort of comes to mind is particularly in the last you know several weeks, with the idea of how important Asian Americans are in this country. Did you find this last year and even the last couple of weeks, that mantle of sort of responsibility as a South Asian American? Has that, has that changed at all for you? Have you thought about that? Um, so yes and no. Um, it, it's a unique question because um, yeah, I think it's always been around, especially South Asians after uh, 9-11. That every time you go on the air, every time you're around, uh, that never escapes me. That just you, if you're in a, a place where uh, there, there's not a lot of exposure to South Asians, that to just be aware, right, um, at all times. I don't think that's ever changed. Uh, I, I think that in the last year, the the outright and blatant racism and the outright hate is more prevalent and. I think that stood out over the last four years um, where, you know, the, the doors suddenly opened and now people feel, I don't want to say comfortable, but uh, people feel now that they can do whatever they want with no ramifications. Yeah. And they can say whatever they want with no ramifications. And it, 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 it's really hard to tackle here considering there's just so much ignorance and misinformation that's put out there and labeling. And when it's openly labeled uh, this pandemic, like the China virus, yeah. uh, the, the Kung Fu or the Kung flu, yeah. uh, it opens the door for people to interpret it any way they want and feel that they could do whatever they want. And, and then they justify it behind a, a ridiculous pandemic. Um, and I, and I think that what you're seeing is uh, you're seeing a lot of South Asians and yeah. Asian Americans and uh, Pacific Islanders that just feel like, you know what, enough is enough. Yeah. And, and it's okay to speak, uh, you know, my voice right now. It's okay to speak out and say something because I think too often we get caught into this, hey, um, let's not stir things up. We don't want to disappoint our parents. We don't want to disappoint family. We don't want to create controversy. Head down, just work. And you get to a point where you're like, no, it's enough. Yeah. And we need to speak out. We need to say something. And it's important that we say something. 
And I wonder if because your presence and the prominence of South Asians and Asian Americans is growing every day, and there's far more representation, it is as that gets more and more comfortable to do so, is that basically the pathway forward to be more visible, to be more rep- better represented and, and for that matter, be more vocal? And, and is that probably your best method of sort of combating that ing- ignorance? Absolutely. It's, it's using this platform for good, right? It's using this platform for uh, something bigger than just talking about sports. It's, it's using this platform to, to provide somebody, uh, a young kid who, who may be bullied, to have some courage and, and, and identify that, hey, it's okay to speak out and say enough. Yeah. And I don't like to be mistreated or uh, insulted by your, your stupid comments. And, and I think when you have you know, strong voices like Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes uh, speaking out and saying enough is enough, Om Young Masuk, Uh, An ES, a fantastic ESPN reporter in the NBA, Jeremy Lin, when when they can point things out and say, listen, I've had enough of this. We need to talk about this out loud. I think it draws attention and it also it creates a bigger discussion because it enlightens some of our closest friends, some of our allies who are minorities who who may not understand the experience that we're going through while we may be understanding their experience and not speaking out uh, what they went through. It, this is like a combination. And, and it, you get to a point where I, I feel like when you look at the minority population, as well as this gender gap, yeah. that there are 12 seats at the table and there's only one seat that's open to minorities and females. And then as a result, the mar- minorities in this country and the females all fight for that one spot. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, get rid of the 11 chairs and now let's sort this out where there's a certain sense of balance and voices where we're not fighting for one spot and we all have to cram in and suddenly the 11 uh, seats are okay and everybody else is fighting over here. Yeah. Um, And I think we're reaching a point now where you're seeing, you're seeing minorities and males speaking out for females. You're seeing, you know, the, the Asian American population aware of what's going on and speaking out you know, against the yeah. hate against Black Lives Matter. And yeah. I think what you're seeing is African Americans are now becoming yeah. aware of Asian Americans and what their experience is like. I, I, there are a handful of colleagues and I that have talked about that, that it, we're, we shouldn't be fighting for one spot at the table, one seat. And that collaboration, I think, is so important because not only does it build coalitions, like you said, to st- stop fighting, you know, for that one spot, but there is a, a much deeper understanding among those communities to say, hey, let's also make sure we learn about each other so that there can actually be even more strength. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back and join our conversation with Kevin Nagandi. Stay tuned. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin my conversation with Kevin Nagandi. For you, as you know, the um, child of of immigrants to this country, you know, one thing that that I'm so curious about. I mean, you you talked about how cool it was for you to go to that way back when that Sixers '83 championship parade uh, yeah. with Tom. Uh, I must say, by the way, a James Worthy less Laker team uh, <laughs> that uh, you know should have won that, but um, but you know, w- was being a local 
sports fan important to your family? Was that a mechanism to embrace that culture and, and really sort of like, you know, soak in the sort of Americana of the experience? Yeah, it, it bridged the gap, you know, uh, with our connection to our dad. My, my brother in the, in the 70s would go to Flyers games when they were phenomenal, the Broad Street Bullies, and my dad would take him to those games. And then for me, my dad in the early 80s would take me to an Eagles game, my mom taking me to the Sixers parade. We always found a way to, to have a connection on the weekends, watching sports and talking about it. And then to me, it just grew like, I was the one now starting conversations around the house about, uh, you know, what what the Sixers are going to do and, and, you know, who's going to be the next Eagles head coach. And, and, you know, I was really lucky at a young age that, you know, the early 80s, the Sixers were great. The Phillies were great. The Eagles just came off a Super Bowl and the Flyers are finding their way into the mid 80s. So, like, I, I, I was really lucky to, to see, you know, Philly sports kind of a, a, a golden era at that moment where it was part of the fabric of conversations that we had. And also I'd go outside, you know, that, with all the local kids and they'd come to our house and yeah. we'd play in my yard. And my brother's the one that taught me how to throw a football and just how to play basketball. So there was a lot of layers uh, in our family's DNA that was connected to Philadelphia sports. Um, and, and it, 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 it stays with me when I look back with fond memories. And then, you know, I carry with with uh, my three kids as we talk about uh, our sports passion and, and, and even living in Connecticut. It's still about Philadelphia sports or my wife's alma mater, the Florida Gators. So she makes sure, you know, the Gators are represented. We, we do a really good job of just reminding them, hey, listen. Yeah, uh, you, you, we love all the action, but let's come back to to why we have these rooting interests and that they're going to stay with us forever. I really am, am now remiss. I don't have any of my like Lakers or Dodgers or, or Kings gear back here. I really should have made that way more prominent for this. So, well, yeah. listen, I, I actually should have done that, too, because downstairs is uh, my man cave and I have a whole bunch of Philadelphia. It's obnoxious with the pennants and the, the jerseys and the. The, the pictures. Uh, I try to, you know, kind of keep this a little quiet. And obviously there's nothing quiet around uh, behind me. <laughs> so. well, no, but, you know, one thing that I, I, I want to highlight for you, I mean, you know, after college, your journey involved so many stops, right? Missouri and Florida. And for many, including me, the image of the ESPN anchor and obviously your delivery make it seem effortless, right? But, but I'm assuming that there was a, certainly a lot of toil and a lot of rigor and study that's gone into all of this. I, I'm curious with that. I mean, are you still continuing to learn your craft? Are you still perfecting oh, it? Every single day. Uh, I think the only way you could relate it to, to somebody who, who follows sports is um, you change your batting style. You know, yeah. Tony Gwynn as a hitter, uh, you know, when he came up in the big leagues, had a completely different type of style later in his career you make adjustments you find what works for you what's what's more comfortable for me i am constantly learning i'm constantly listening to to different um people that i look up to and say what worked for them why did it work for them now it may not work for me but i will take something here i'll take something here i'll take something there and then i'll fit it into work, what works for me and then sometimes going back to the fundamentals of some of the things i used to do when i was a 23 year old kid uh, to build this foundation yeah. Uh, of a broadcaster. I sometimes need to press that reset button if I feel like I'm in a slump and say, all right, what worked back then when I hit the skids and I was trying to find things? Let's go back to that a little bit. And um, 
You're always tweaking. There's never, no matter what it is, we're all in search of the perfect show. We'll never have the perfect show because in this business, you're never as good as you think and you're never as bad as you feel. And that that's the truth in every single thing that we do here on TV. Um, so the goal is this. Uh, you want tens every day. Yeah. You're not going to get tens every day. The key is to stay between an eight and a half to a nine and a half every single day. Be consistently good night in and night out. And then some days you'll have a 10. You just don't want to go below a seven, no matter what. Just, yeah. And then that, that, I think, I think any athlete will tell you that it, the, the best people or the best athletes when it comes to production are the ones that do it night in and night out. And then some nights they pop off and they give you 60 and, but they come back in the next night and then they're consistently dropping to 29 points. And that, that's what I want to do. It's finding a consistency every single day, staying authentic to myself, yeah. but at the same time, uh, elevating and getting better and not plateauing. You just want to not make it to the coach's DNP list. Is that right? No, yeah. no one wants that. Uh, absolutely not. And if you have a DNP one night, then you start asking a ton of questions. There you go. Well, and I wonder, like, you know, if that is the sort of mantra, right, of saying, listen, I need to be both consistent, but, you know, constantly aim for perfection through learning and that iterative process. Is that really so far um, the secret to developing trust and particularly developing trust with your your colleagues, with your audience? And and for that matter, has when you first started out, was that a little bit different to do as an Indian American as the first sort of host? Was there any, you know, in some ways kind of extra hurdle to try and develop that trust because you were sort of the first in that way? 100%. Um, I mean, I can talk about my experience when I first got in the business um, at a local TV station in Kirksville, Missouri. Like I, I drive home. It was a long drive. Uh, after doing a three and a half minute sports cast and I just break everything down and just be like, you know, I'm done. Why, why did I do this? Why did I do that? That show was terrible. I, I, I shouldn't be in this business anymore. Then you start to just kind of say, stop, just stop doing this. You're not actually being productive or helpful. When I came to ESPN, uh, my goal was to, to, basically get the next contract. So it was like, how do I get the next deal? So what do I need to do today to be better for tomorrow? Because I, 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 while I, I, I preach living in the present, many times I'm always saying, what's the next thing for me? How do I set up today to be better for tomorrow? And uh, I took a lot on my shoulders, unnecessary probably looking back, um, going on the air and making sure I did it right because I didn't want to fail because I felt like it was the first impression for a lot of people of what an Indian American uh, says and does on TV when it comes to delivering sports. And so in the beginning, I was I was questioned a lot, especially when you went to social media. A couple of years later, uh, social media kind of blew up. So I came in 2006. I remember I jumped on Twitter in 2009 and the first year was pretty first year or two was pretty tough. If yeah. I was on a new show, I'd hear it. Uh, and, and people would question um, not whether my knowledge was there. They question my background and why, why is this Indian guy telling me about baseball? Right. And um, I realized that I've got to be better and more buttoned up than anybody around me. Cause I wasn't going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So for me personally, that means I had to work harder um, than some of the things I was seeing from my colleagues, because I was like, I've got, I've got to come correct. I cannot afford to make a mistake. And then when I would make a mistake, 
I would internalize that and it would magnify and get bigger and bigger and bigger. While, you know, some colleagues had learned the balance of, okay, you make a mistake, you move on. Yeah. I didn't realize that until years later that it's okay. Let's move on because you do not want this to turn into an avalanche, right? That's rolling down the hill. Mistakes, mistakes. You make one, move on. Don't carry it with you. And um, I had to learn that process. But at the same time, it made me really, really good at my job because I had to actually work harder than I've ever worked before to, to, to get the information, cover my butt, yeah, and then build that kind of respect, trust that I have with the audience. And then once you have that, you're given the benefit of the doubt, but you're not given the benefit of the doubt, whether you're, you know, black, white, or, br- or brown, right. or female, yeah. At, at ESPN. You're not giving it the benefit of the doubt. You have to earn the respect of the audience early on. Yeah. And um, I I just think that once you build that, 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 that trust and that bond, they'll forgive you. The audience will forgive you because yeah. they also know that, they, that, that you're relatable. That's the most important thing. That Are you authentic to yourself? Are you relatable? And can they trust you? And if you could establish those three things, you're going to be very successful no matter what you do. Let me ask you this. We only have a minute or so left, but um, is there anything in, in your sort of reflection and even as you as you think now about your, your career, is there anything uniquely Indian American about your professional existence at ESPN? I mean, uh, do you have a small cup of chai right behind the desk in Sports Center? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I do not. Um, uh, and trust me, if I, if I could have some job, I would, I would have job every single day uh, with the masala and all that. Uh, that's not, it's just not good for me. <laughs> um, if, 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 if there's anything that's Indian American, I, I think that the cool part that I was really proud about was that when the World Cup uh, of cricket came around, yeah. And we were doing segments that uh, they let me own that and they let me deliver, uh, you know, a nice piece and feature about, you know, how cricket is the cousin of baseball mm-hmm. and and deliver those type of highlights. And and I, I took great pride in that. You know, they were leaning on me and like, all right, what does this mean? Uh, let's call Kevin. Like, are the West Indies, are they good? Like, mm-hmm. help me understand about India. And what's this battle between India and Pakistan and yeah. uh, when it comes to a rivalry and. So I, that, that I, I, I got a lot of pride. Now, I, I will tell you this. It's really cool. There are a lot of Indian Americans behind the scenes at, at ESPN. Yeah. Um, they're spread out all over the place, but the majority is in IT. Yeah. And, you know, we have functions, you know, before the pandemic that was celebrating Diwali. And we would have like, uh, you know, at one of the cafeterias, we, we would have a ceremony and we would serve Indian food. And to me, that's 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 the small little stuff that I love seeing uh, that we could do. And I can get dressed up and, and in a jumble and come in. That's awesome. Um, that's cool. And and I think that those small little pocket moments, uh, they mean a heck of a lot to to the uh to the group of people that are Indian Americans that, that work in Bristol and are there every single day that are quietly just grinding. So I, I think something like that, um, yeah. you know, I, I'll share one quick story, which, which I loved yesterday. And it's very relatable, I think, to this audience. Sure. Uh, my mom and I, before I got the TV and I, I told my mom, I'm like, this is going to be a job where I'm going to be traveling a lot. I may, I may not be living in the Philadelphia area. Yeah. In the end, with my career, I said, but as as a 
college kid would say to his mom. I promised her, I said, but by the end, I will be in your living room every single day. So this was the arrogance of a college kid saying, well, I'll be at ESPN or I'll be in the Philly market, which is incredibly hard. Yeah. And to this day, my mom watches me on every single show that I'm on and texts me, thank you for visiting me in my living room. So yesterday she tells me she's going to the Mundir and that she's taping uh, the show, the 6 p.m. show. And I was like, okay, great. You know, um, and I, I just said, thank you uh, for thinking of me when you go to the Mundir, Jesse Krushna. And, and then she, she sends me a text about 10 minutes later and goes, you know what? I'll just watch the show and then I'll go to the Mundir. And I was like, fantastic. <laughs> that, yeah, you do whatever that's convenient for you. But, uh, you know, when she sent me the text, usually she sends it to me in the middle of the show or towards the end of the show. When she sent it to me in the middle of the show and then she went to the Mundir afterwards, she was like, thank you for visiting me in my living room. I love your tie. Uh, I'm going to the Monday now that 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 feels like home and and a small piece of the pie for me, especially when you're a commercial break and you're about to go back on TV uh, speaking to a national audience. Kevin, you're you're making your mom proud. Um, what a lovely story. Thank you so much for being on with us. I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. My pleasure. It's been a it's been a blast. And, and the next time we talk, let's go in depth about Kobe and Iverson. I love that type of conversation. Thanks, Kevin. And in this sports safe place, all conversations are welcome. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MyGoodFriend. I earlier forgot to say, Go Bears! Mostly because they're the two words that especially capture both my personal joy and pain of being a sports fan, especially where I live. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. This is Stylist Rashi Bindra. Make sure to check out our show, Elevated Drapes. And when I say our show, I mean with, of course, with your favorite host, your host, Sati, on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, only on Ruckus Avenue Radio.